1: Welcome back to the seven five oh. I am your ORG Ochoa. He is your 75 two-time Super Bowl champion, college football Hall of Famer, and now uh, the only Oklahoma Sooner to wear number 75 for the Dallas Cowboys, the one and only Tony Casillas. TC,
2: what up? Uh, I'm doing good. Yeah, you know that broke my 75 heart whenever you – you actually, you know, you, you broke the news to me, by the way. Uh, so, that, oh, by the way, that uh, Neville Gallimore more decided to go to number 96. So my whole deal is this. I guess what I'll have to do is I'll have to improvise. Uh, I bought the jersey with his name on it. Now I'll just take the name tag off and put my name on it.
1: Yeah. Um, how many uh, – I think this is a, a cool question for former players. How many of your jerseys do you own?
2: You know, I think I have maybe three or four. I mean, I have some game-worn jerseys. Um you know what I've done in the past. I mean, I've had fans actually want my jersey. So uh, what I'll do is that uh, I'll get a replica and I'll sign them and send them to them. But you know, I think after you've been out of the league as long as I have, you, you kind of move on uh, yeah. a little bit. Or, uh, it's been quite some time, uh, sure. so I think all you need is maybe one or two. Okay, uh, and in other ones that have a little bit more sentimental value. But no, I don't have a bunch of my jerseys hanging around. You know, in my office. Um, if you, you know, to kind of give everyone kind of a, kind of a picture of it. I mean, I have a lot of things in here because this yeah. is my little, I guess, man cave of member billion and stuff that reminds me of, but I'm, there's a lot of dust on it. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, I was crushed uh, 75, no longer worn by a former Sooner. And I just hope everything goes well for Neville. If <laughs> happens, I'm just saying, not trying to put that out there. But I'm so, a superstitious.
1: So what happened? If anybody is confused, Neville Gallimore, the Cowboys third round draft pick out of Oklahoma, uh, the best school in the big 12. Uh, he was previously assigned number 75. He's a defensive tackle from OU. That worked out really well for you, Tony. Last week, uh, there was all this. You wore
2: number seventy five when I right, was in right. <laughs> uh,
1: There was all this talk about Everson Griffin's number because he wore number ninety seven with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, when he signed with the Cowboys, his his bio on social media said Cowboys defensive end number ninety seven despite the fact that Tristan Hill, another defensive tackle for the Cowboys at the time was wearing number 97. So a lot of people were like, oh, well, Tristan's going to get cut, but you can't cut Tristan Hill because Joe McCoy's hurt. And uh, so, you know, is he going to give it up, et cetera? Well, come to find out, you know, one way or another, Everson got 97 off of Tristan Hill. Tristan Hill changed to 72. Maybe he's a big Travis Frederick fan. And while all the changes were happening, uh, I I should mention that, the Cowboys cut Jalen Jelks uh, to make room for Everson Griffin. I don't know if you remember this, Tony. Last year when Jalen was first assigned a number, he was given number 74, Mm -hmm. which is typically a a kiss of death because you're not going to make the roster wearing that number uh, for the Dallas Cowboys at least. And uh, so he switched to 96. So when he got cut, that number became available. And Neville said, if everybody's going to be changing, I'm going to change. I'm going to put on 96 instead of 75. I, I'll be honest with you, Tony. I like 96 on a defensive tackle. Um, Malik Collins obviously wore it, but 75 would have been a lot cooler.
2: Yeah, I, I, I understand. And look, uh, my my feelings, you know, my butt's a little hurt, but I'll, <laughs> I'll get over it. You know, by the way, number 74. I don't think anyone should really. That should be an unofficial retired jersey, by the way, uh, Mr. Cowboy uh, Bob Lilly, and we all know the history of of, of that. So, um, you know, I here's my question to you how much did it cost um, Everton Griffin um, <laughs> to switch to get his number back? Because, you know, that's kind of the, the the ongoing thing when guys come out of, you know, from a different team or whatever the case may be. It's like, okay, how much is it going to cost to get my jersey back? And, I, I mean, it's it's cost some money in the past. So maybe that'll be undisclosed terms that we won't find out.
1: Well, Tristan was asked, and – um this was last week and he gave a really monotone answer. Like he sounded as just, Very vague. Mon- yeah, he was like, <laughs> I saw a number I liked and I took it. What's, what's the the best example of something like that you remember? Like w- whether it was a Jersey number or a locker or something, somebody said, Hey, whoever, I'll give you 10 G's for this. Or like, what, what's a, what's a fun example. You
2: it happened all the time. I'm trying to think. I, I think there's a couple of guys. I know that, um, uh, I'm trying to think of when Dion came in, or maybe some really celebrated free agent that came in, uh, but I don't really think that that was the case. Uh, and, and I guess in some cases you're, you know, you're, you can get lucky, and it's not going to cost you anything because no one has that number. Or like right. you said, maybe it's someone that's going to get released anyway. Um, but let me over and under. Uh, did it cost over twenty five or under mm. for that jersey?
1: I'll say under um, because, and I mean this with no disrespect it's Tristan Hill. You know what I mean? Like if, um, uh, if you're trying to get a number off of, I don't know, Dorrance Armstrong, who his rookie year also wore 74 and had to change, uh, when he made the roster, you know, Dorrance is a little bit more established. You know what I mean? Like, so maybe that takes a a little bit more money, but, um, Everson Griffin is perennial badass. Everson Griffin. Yeah.
2: I I, I know the dude's got a resume and he's got, he's got cred and Tristan Hill falls think, asleep when Isaiah Thomas speaks. well I know but, bef- <laughs> but that was before we' had this resurgence and all we're talking we should talk about that as we get into you know our podcast is that all of a sudden there's a resurgence of Tristan Hill and had now he has the opportunity because of uh, Gerald McCoy getting injured so maybe maybe before yeah I get that not well, much respect from for Tristan Hill uh and maybe it didn't cost him a whole lot Probably didn't cost ca- – maybe Take him out for a steak dinner or something. I don't know, but
1: yeah, maybe like maybe. a a cart. What's it called? Like a cart charcuterie. You know, what I'm talking about a charcuterie board. board. Yeah,
2: maybe, maybe it was a charcuterie. Board. See, <laughs> see, I see. I I have a storyline with that because my wife made a charcuterie board, and I couldn't pronounce it. You I know, mean, I have problems pronouncing names, but I word. nailed that finally because and it's so funny because I had to pronounce a word for you. So charcuterie board. But yeah, you're right. But I don't. I think. That, I don't see Tristan Hill being just uh, you know, vegetables, cheese and meats and different sort of things like that. I don't see that. I well, think it's gonna cost them a little bit more. Maybe Bob's steakhouse or maybe Perry's. Oh, or Nick's something
1: like that. Yeah, for oh, sure. Yeah, without uh, a yeah. So okay, let's let's talk about Tristan Hill. Uh we'll get to Earl Thomas in a second. Obviously. Do we the, have to? The, of course we are. I mean, of, of course. course I'm
2: blocking the boys and everyone that follows. That's all they want to talk about is well, Earl Thomas. So we're definitely going we'll to get is, exasperated with with Earl Thomas again.
1: Of course. This is the 7-5-0, which means it's Tuesday. And, and Jerry Jones was on the radio on Tuesday. We'll get into all that in a second. But um, I talked about the defensive tackle situation on actually today's episode of the Ocho as well. And so it looks like, Tony, the Cowboys are going to keep four defensive tackles. We've known that for a long time. And it's very easy to get to four, right? You've got Don Terry Poe. You've got Antoine Woods, who said on Monday that he feels overlooked and always has uh, through his Cowboys career. You've got Tristan Hill, and you've got the aforementioned Neville Gallimore. That's your four, you know, on the roster, on the depth chart, it's got DT next to their name. However we are seeing and hearing a lot of versatility. We're hearing Alden Smith being used inside. We've obviously seen Tyron Crawford there used or used there before. We're even hearing about the aforementioned Everson Griffin being used inside. So it does kind of seem like, um, like you know how Tony people like to say when it comes to the offensive line, like just play your best five. Whoever your best five dudes are, just get them up front, figure mm-hmm. the positions out. Yeah. It kind yeah. of feels like the Cowboys are approaching that the same way with the defensive line. Jim Tomsula is like, Look, Everson Griffin's awesome. I don't want to not have Everson Griffin on the field if I can have him there with Alden Smith and Demarcus Lawrence. Who cares if their ends or whatever just rush the passer?
2: Yeah, Jim Tomsula is, is he has been known to be kind of this defensive lineman whisperer. And I, I really liked everything that I've seen um, and heard has been very positive. And I'm not gonna lie, I mean, we've got on Tristan Hill here on our podcast. It's like a lot of other people. It's like, how important is your job? I mean, this is, you're a professional athlete now. you got to take care of your business and do whatever you need to do. Commit to being the best you can. Well, it seems to me, and what I've heard from his teammates, Tyron Crawford, and just everyone has talked about it, is that he's got this new focus. Focus on, you know, being better in the offseason. Seems like he really, really was very independent and really worked on getting in shape. Uh, working on, you know, a diet. You know, doing some of th- the things that really that you have to, to really show your commitment, and I think it's paying off now. I think it may be a little early, but still, I mean, when you we we're not able, to, we're not privy to see, you know, the practices and everything now just because of the pandemic. But what we've seen and what we've heard, the biggest compliment to me or for any player is if it comes from your defensive line coach or your head coach, because mm-hmm. they don't put those comments and you know, the superlatives or whatever it may be, uh, compliments out there unless it's very authentic. So he must be doing a lot of things really, really good that are standing out that maybe he didn't do last year. Maybe it's a different voice. Maybe it's a different coach. Maybe Rod Marinelli kind of just didn't register. Maybe he was one of these guys that just, you know, was a yeller. I mean, we don't know. But still, it seems to me the change and everything else that's gone on for Tristan Hill right now is starting to register.
1: Steven Jones, actually, Tony, said on Monday on 105 Through the Fan, he talked about how Rod Marinelli can – have some some tough love. Um, he talked mm-hmm. about. I mean, you, yep. you've, been, you've been there. Some some coaches are yellers. Some guys are screamers. Uh, and that that does that's just a, a fact of life. That way of teaching doesn't land on everybody. Uh, it seems like that might have been the case with Tristan. There there were character concerns, if you want to call them that, coming out of Central Florida. Um, I, I I think this is fair. And again, I don't mean this to slight Tristan Hill. But would you agree that he is? I don't want to call him the worst. But he is he is the least talented defensive tackle on the Cowboys roster as we see it today. Again, I, I that's a, a harsh way to put it, but is that fair? Because I, I'm going somewhere with this.
2: Well, I don't think we've seen the whole the makeup, or we haven't seen a sure. completed product of him yet. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you on that because you know, maybe last year he was immature. I mean, the guy, I mean, was you know, was a second round draft pick, and a lot of people had him maybe as a number, maybe one, but uh, the point is, is that, you know, that happens to particular guys and, you know, falling asleep and a meeting is not a really good way to show your commitment, but maybe there was something going on where maybe he just felt like sure. there wasn't a connection. I mean, some guys act out, uh, they do things, that, they don't act like professionals. He's a young, young kid. Yeah, now you revitalize that until fast forward to second year. And I've seen guys change. I've seen guys change and, a year and you're like, what happened? This got this extreme makeover doing things that they didn't do the year before acting like a professional. And I think the most important thing is you got to hit on is that I know when you have a different coach that really, you know, is a a different deliverer. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Rob Marinelli. I mean, I've been around coach Marinelli. He's a tremendous, I have a lot of respect for him, but he does things a little old school. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I know Leon led is still the assistant defensive line coach. And as we mentioned, you know Tom Sula is a tremendous uh defensive line coach so I think a combination of all those things and maybe it's a maturity factor because this year think about we talked about this during this whole pandemic guys are gonna have to be a little more motivated to do things on their own because they're not gonna have these structured workouts and to me if I'm gonna read that RJ I think I'm really really impressed with what he's doing so far
1: I think that's fair I mean that's I think there's it's fair to be optimistic and it's certainly fair to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, given, I mean, he's played one year in the NFL. He was a rookie, you know, and, and to his credit, I suppose it was a really toxic year for the Cowboys. You know, like last year was not the year, to join the Dallas Cowboys. You know, there was all sorts of stuff happening. And I, I do think that the presence around him will be good for him. My only point in bringing up why he may be as of now, the, and you're right, he certainly hasn't realized his full potential yet, the least talented defensive tackle on the roster, is if 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 who Tristan Hill is today is your last option, I think that's a sign of your depth, right? I mean, because Tristan Hill, again, I'm, I'm not a, a great player right now, but if, if that is the bottom of the barrel, and that's a harsh way to put it, I don't mean it that way, then you've got a lot of depth. You know what I mean? If if you don't have to count on Tristan Hill right now, you've done a good job of acquiring different pieces. Uh, but I, I, I do think it's worth mentioning that we, even though he did change numbers, we haven't heard a lot of Neville Gallimore to really put him above Tristan Hill right now. They might be kind of even, um, but at, at the end of the day, you know, if... Everson Griffin and Alden Smith are getting kicked inside it's not like the Cowboys are too worried about Neville Gallimore no. or Tristan Hill anyway
2: no I, I think that there's as you mentioned there's a lot of depth there's a lot of opportunities for them to isolate I mean isolation is really good when you have a, a really good uh, very versatile defensive lineman as you mentioned Everson Griffin putting him inside and then you know, Alden Smith which it sounds like the dude is just picked up picked up where he left off is just a freaking animal but uh, you know when I guess when you do look at it, well, his body of work, Tristan Hill last year, and what they have now. I mean, Neville Gallimore is a rookie, and mm-hmm. regardless, I mean Tristan has a year. I'm just saying about what I hear. If I hear all the noise and everything coming out, it sounds like the dude is really is balling in practice. And you know maybe, and that's and he's got something to prove. So you know, for me, I really like how guys respond to adversity. Mm-hmm. You know everything what you know is being said about them. And I think he has to have pride in his work, man. as a professional athlete, as a professional football player, you have got to have pride in what you're doing. And he didn't do that last year, so hopefully this will you know continue. this improvement, this new uh, lease on playing you know football and live football will continue.
1: I agree. Um, before we shift to Earl Thomas, I do want to ask because you mentioned the diet in in your heyday, what was your diet like? I mean, like, hey. well, like, but I mean, give us specifics, like, you know. Well,
2: you know what, I had a hard time keeping my weight. Uh, you know, I could, I could, you know, I, I could afford and uh, to eat three or four steaks, or you know, really just eat what I wanted to. I mean, I didn't have, I didn't have to worry about, I didn't have a weight problem. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to weigh in, you know, and be a, make weight. Uh, so I, I really didn't have that issue. I mean, a lot of, I mean, I, and I guess I'm lucky because I was a little bit more undersized, sure. but I, to my ultimate weight, I just, it was kind of the very top of, you know, meat eating, trying to eat the best, you know, good food. Um, so I didn't have a, I didn't have an issue with that, but you know, guys that had the propensity to just blow up. I mean, I remember Nate Newton, man. I remember that dude would weigh 400 pounds and, you know, before training camp and he'd go away for three weeks and he'd come back at you know, 350. So I don't know what he was doing. And then <laughs> guys would come in on a side and weigh in and they get fined for not making weight. So, um, you know, good for him. If he's really, really, because that to me shows a lot of, about who you are, Sure. that you, that you care about your job, you sure. care about yourself and you have pride in yourself and, you know, you don't want to be the guy that was a bust. Right. So good for him.
1: Um, okay, so it's it's now time, Tony, to talk about Earl Thomas. That's about to
2: wrap up, right? Uh, so <laughs> to, to
1: fast forward to Tuesday, Earl Thomas chased down Jason Garrett in the tunnel two and a half years. I mean, everybody knows everything that happened. Sunday, he was released by the Baltimore Ravens. It was kind of... I almost want to say assumed by the general public that the Dallas Cowboys were going to sign Earl Thomas ASAP. Um, But we are recording at about 1040 a.m. Central Time on Tuesday morning. And as of now, Earl Thomas is still a free agent. And as of now, the fallout, I guess, if you want to call it that, from Jerry Jones's appearance on 105.3 The Fan is still kind of dissipating. Um, So what happened on Tuesday, Tony, uh, for everyone that missed it, that's why we're here for you to catch you up. Jerry Jones does two weekly appearances on 105 Through the Fan every week, uh, and we have now started that. It is football season. And so Tuesday is one of his appearances in the morning show with Sean and RJ on 105 Through the Fan. And Sean tweeted out that he, that a little birdie, excuse me, told him to specifically ask, that Jerry Jones specifically wanted to be asked about Earl Thomas. Okay. That kind of set up the hype. Why would Jerry want to be asked about this? Then, Tony, uh, as you mentioned, the pandemic and the COVID protocols dictate that the local media who is at Cowboys practice cannot tweet things that are happening there. They cannot tweet anything while they are in practice. Then it was, you know, came out that the Cowboys lifted this embargo that the Cowboys said, "Hey, when Jerry's talking later about Earl Thomas and everything, you can go ahead and tweet that." So everybody's saying, "Oh my gosh, what's what's happening that Jerry wants everybody to be able to hear?" What he's going to say about three minutes before he goes on the air, Ian Rappaport from NFL network tweets out that the Cowboys have kind of done their due diligence and they are not expected to sign Earl Thomas at this time. All the suspense goes away, Tony, and everybody's kind of wondering what's going to happen here. Jerry Jones was asked, uh, Hey, you know, dude, uh, Ian Rappaport said that you guys aren't going to sign Earl Thomas. What gives? And he said, he doesn't know what he's talking about. The only person that knows is me right here. And he refused to close the door Tony, what do you think is going to happen
2: here? You know what? I, I it's just such a a crazy. And I'm going to call it an ordeal. It, it's not quite like the Antonio Brown saga because it's totally different. But it
1: does it does have that. Kind it of has a little though. flavor, yeah.
2: just a little appetizer to it, I guess. Um, I think it's self inflicted. I think Earl Thomas is a tremendous player. What seven year Pro Bowl player? But with that, he comes comes with baggage. The baggage that he's, you know, he he does things on his own. He wants to be left alone. Uh, at times, it seems like he's not coachable, which is a problem. Um, and I think the worst thing is how he treats his teammates. And I, I think that that's kind of the you got to draw the line in the sand, RJ. And I think Baltimore, all those things I mentioned, but the last one especially is a narrative because. The way you treat your teammates is a very is an indictment on your character, and you know we've been hearing all these reports about the reason why you know he's late to meetings. He's late to the meeting because he's getting his car washed. I mean, I don't know how true that is, but I mean, if you want to be judged, you're going to be judged by like, oh well, I had to wash my car, so I'm I, I'm late to a meeting. So how, you know what does that what does that say about your character? And so the point is, like Baltimore, I mean, they gave him an opportunity, paid him a lot of money. They t- they cut their losses. And there's yeah. not a lot of teams that cut their losses with a guy like of that magnitude just because they don't they don't want him on his t- on their team. Oh, they- so what does that say about you? So look, whatever Jerry says, I mean, that's Jerry. Jerry's going to just say, "Okay, well, I I didn't say that." Just to have that out there so we can all sit here and speculate. Myself personally, I just don't think it's a good fit. I mean, look, I mm. I think that you have to you know, give guys the benefit of the doubt. But look at what he's done. I mean, would he make the, t- the the Cowboys better just the way from his play? Absolutely. He's got a hell of a pre- pedigree. But all the other stuff that becomes toxic, that you have a new coach in Mike McCarthy, he probably doesn't want to take that on. I mean, they're starting from scratch. So, you know, Earl Thomas, I mean, that's – I think that to me is not going to blackball you but a lot of teams are gonna sit back and just watch and see what happens to the roster of guys get injured. But I don't think anybody's really just this excited about jumping up and like, okay, we're gonna bring Earl Thomas just because of the, his history and his the way he's his he's his personality and the way he treats people, and especially the way you treat your teammates. I mean, look, I mean, that is the cardinal sin in my book.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: I, um, I totally agree that it is a gigantic red flag that the Baltimore Ravens, who are Super Bowl contenders, um, would cut their losses, would, would take on a loss just to part with an all-world talent like Earl Thomas. that's maybe, what,
2: maybe he hasn't gotten over that trucking by Chris Henry in the playoff game. I mean, <laughs> I, Derrick Henry. Derrick oh, Derrick <laughs> Henry. I'm, my bad. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> no, I mean, totally agreed. Um, and and that is, that's, that's the part that feels like Antonio Brown, right? Like this tremendous talent that a team is, you know, purposely, intentionally walking away from. But it's from. all
2: about me. I mean, you know. It's, hey, look, it, it, we understand that, but I'm sorry, RJ, I didn't mean to interject. No, you're fine. It, it's all about me.
1: Um, I do want to say uh, on the car wash thing, um, I don't know if I've ever told you this. When <laughs> when I was in high school, I had a job at Office Depot. I was a, a cashier at Office Depot just in high school, right? And uh, I'll never forget one Monday night the Cincinnati Bengals were actually in Baltimore playing the Ravens on Monday Night Football. And my boss called. Like, you know when you have those those kind of part-time jobs? Hey, can you come in? So-and-so can't come. so and so sick, whatever. And I didn't want to go because I wanted to watch the Bengals play the Ravens <laughs> on Monday Night Football. <laughs> and I said, I can't come in to work. I have to go to a baby shower with my mom. That was the the lie I made up. Well, that's school. better.
2: You know, sometimes it's better <laughs> car just to- wash. Yeah, to change, you know, you, you know, like a, to a little wide lie, like a little fib, right? But, oh, yeah, um, coach, yeah, I had to get my car washed. I mean, say, you know, I broke down or I had to get gas or it was a personal, you know, emergency or something. But just to be able to just be that, you know, that comfortable with, like, who you are and, like, like basically, I'm Earl Thomas. I can do whatever I want. That's probably not the right thing to say.
1: Um. I agree. It is a very bad look, to say the least. It's a little arrogant. I
2: think that's a little I, arrogant. I, Tank, a
1: little <laughs> it, I mean, but it, I, I'm not. I don't want to justify what Earl Thomas is doing by any means. All I'm saying is the guy is one of the greatest safeties to ever play the game. And so, like he, you Agreed. know, I'm. I mean, again, not justifying this behavior or this alleged behavior, but. We see that often with with great guys. They act a certain way and and it has a a ripple effect and it has a trickle down effect. I mean, and that oftentimes is not good. We saw some of that. uh, We talked about a few months ago in the last dance documentary, not to say they're the same thing, but you know what I mean? Like sometimes that's how great teams fall apart. And maybe that's what's happening here. But I do find it very interesting, Tony. That Jerry Jones kept hope alive and that he specifically said that Ian Rappaport was wrong, um, that he didn't know anything. Jerry Jones chose to keep this story alive. Maybe it's because Jerry just wants the headlines. Maybe it's for whatever reason. I saw Calvin Watkins of the Dallas Morning News. Tony had a tweet. Uh, where he said, maybe Jerry is bothered by the headline of today's Dallas Morning News. If you look at it, uh, David Moore's article on Tuesday, the headline is McCarthy will cast the decisive vote. Um, And again, Calvin Watkins saying, I wonder if today's headline has the Cowboys owner a little feisty. Maybe. I mean, again, if, if if we're just speculating, if we're just wondering, maybe Jerry is bothered that a lot of people are viewing this as Mike McCarthy's team as opposed to Jerry Jones's team. I don't know if i buy that but it's at least fair to ask the question
2: i just think they need to put it into the whole like i i would say the drama and just the just the fact that you know earl thomas there's a you know there's a small window uh, that maybe he could be a cowboy and maybe uh, you know again we're rehashing this we're going back was it two years ago whenever he chased uh you know Jason two and a good, half. Two and a half. I mean, and we're still talking about this. We're still talking about this. And now it's totally different. I mean, look, if we want to go back and, and just kind of look at the history, and, and players are players. I get it. And if you're you're really good, yeah, you know what? I guess you can be that arrogant. You can make demands. But, you know, maybe I'm old school. I want a guy that, look, feels good about, yeah, I'm great. I'm good. I know it but I don't have to preach to the world how great I am. I don't have to go by whatever the rules that other teammates have to go by. I can just do what I want. Now, a lot of people like yourself, RJ, because I know that you're a big fan of Earl Thomas. I mean, you tweet out, and I think that that's – and maybe I'm I'm wrong, but I think that you like that romance of him coming to the Cowboys. I mean, I get it. I mean, he is a tremendous player. But are we going to see the Earl Thomas that we saw in Baltimore that was um, destructive to its teammates that your uh, organization in a national football league cut your ass because of your your contact you know your contact con- uh, excuse me uh conduct uh, detrimental to the team because um, of the way you treat the teammates that is unheard of and for so, them to take take a hit in the salary to just to cut their losses and say hey okay we're done with you I mean, what does that say about, especially a a franchise in the National Football League, which sometimes sacrifice character to have a great player on the team? Um,
1: So I don't know if I have said what I would want to happen, right? We've talked a lot about, you know, the facts and speculations and just kind of what is happening with the situation. But as far as what I want for the Cowboys Uh, you mentioned I'm a I'm a fan of Earl Thomas big fan I mean who doesn't who doesn't love the player that Earl Thomas is besides like 49ers fans right he's an awesome player he's one of the greatest safeties of all time Um, and I actually thought it was cool that he ended up in Baltimore because I'm a fan of I'm a fan of like certain teams having certain guys. Like it's always cool when like the Steelers have great linebackers. You know what I mean? And so it's cool that the Ravens, who had Ed Reed, would have Earl Thomas. Like it's cool that you know that sort of lineage exists for that particular legacy there. Um, Yeah, real
2: quick. But do you think uh, if you cannot play for John Harbaugh, I mean, he's the guy. Think about the players. I mean, think about that. I agree. Cannot you cannot coexist? I mean, with John Harbaugh and what I, I would think. And he's been there for a long time. He's a very player, players, coaches oriented, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I just figured I'd interject that. Really no,
1: good. I agree. And I, so I don't always buy into the, like John Harbaugh loves to say like, we want you to play like a raven, you know, when he talks about players. Like that kind of stuff sounds kind of like Hallmarky and cheesy and, and hokey and stuff. But it is obviously a, a real thing and a real part of Baltimore's culture. And that's why they're successful. Um, but back to, you know, It would be awesome. It it would be a lot of fun for Earl Thomas to be a Dallas Cowboy. There's no doubt about that. If he was a great player, heck, I mean, you're right, Tony. Even if he's not the Earl Thomas that we saw last year or at his peak in Seattle, the reality, though, is he's still much better than the Cowboys' current options. That is objectively true. But as fun as it would be from a football standpoint and as fun as it would be from a podcaster, blogger, content creator standpoint, because Earl as a Cowboy would be – I mean – it would be a big juicy steak, you know? It would be fun.
2: Without a doubt.
1: But um, I do certainly agree that it is troublesome that John Harbaugh of all people and the Baltimore Ravens willingly cut their losses. Seattle parted ways with him. That was a little bit more about money than it was about, you know, Earl's personality. Um, you know, not not exactly apples to apples with the Ravens. Uh, but I mean, it is certainly worth mentioning that Pete Carroll and John Schneider and the Seahawks organization, which is one of the most progressive, you know, franchises in the NFL, willingly let him walk away. And I thought, you know, uh, we had John Mishoda on uh, Girls Talking Boys with Kelsey Charles here on the feed on Monday. He brought up such a great point. If, if the Cowboys had a player Tony that walked to the other team's locker room and said "Come get me," P- Cowboys fans would hate that dude. Absolutely. I mean, it, they'd he want would, him out the
2: next day. He
1: would be. Dr- I mean, he, and Earl played a whole well, not a whole year because he got hurt, but he he returned to, to the Seahawks after yeah, that. Yeah, and he crazy. flipped the
2: bird to the, yeah. the whole coaching staff. I mean, there's a lot of things that Earl Thomas so, has done to question his his conduct sure. and his character, and which and I, I think just because he's a seven-time Pro Bowl, he doesn't get a hall pass all the time.
1: Right. And I think the most important thing, all the time. what people have been saying about the Cowboys since you guys won your titles, Tony, is Jerry needs to get out of the way. He needs to hire a coach. He needs to let the coach do his thing. He needs to just be Jerry, you know, sell the tickets, whatever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. And he – I mean, he certainly has done that at times. He did that with Bill Parcells, very notably. I think at times he did that with Jason Garrett. But to me, that is the most important objective. I want, as a Dallas Cowboys fan, I want the organization to be dripping in Mike McCarthy's influence. The the person that has to have the, the most... The loudest, the ultimate saying things is the head coach, is Mike McCarthy. And he seemingly has to this point, right? And we're very pleased with the way things have gone. And so if Mike McCarthy says, you know what, the culture is too important. I mean, think about the culture of the Cowboys right now. They're such a strong and tight group that, you know, on their own, they decided to hole up and bubble up at the Omni, you know, because they realized the importance of that in, in our particular climate. And so I don't know if Earl Thomas would be detrimental to that, but I know that he might be. And I think that even that is not worth it. And I mean this with all due respect for the future Hall of Famer that is Earl Thomas. It is not worth all of that effort and all of that headache for a safety because a safety is, is the running back of the defense. And that's, that's just a true and objective fact.
2: Yeah. But then a lot of people are going to say, well, seven time pro bowler, look what he, he, you know, he could bring to his contribution to that team. And, and, and had all this not happened with, with the Ravens, I was like, look, I mean, you know, I, I agree with Jared. you know, keep a, you know, keep an open mind, mm-hmm. but I think we can realize, we all realize since, since Jerry is on this team and where they are now, where where they are now, as far as being the most, the the most valuable sports franchise in the world is that he likes stories. He likes things still out there. So this is kind of, This is just, you know, this is just typical Jerry. I mean, this is what, you know, Jerry likes to keep something alive. And so regardless if that happens or not, the point is is that I I think that they need to just move on. I mean, I I think that it's something, you know, the guys that they have on the team now, I mean, yeah. I mean, Clinton Dix is a tremendous addition for him, but he's not Earl Thomas. He doesn't have that. And, And look, my last thing on this, and this will be my last thing, uh, as far as our Earl Thomas and players. You know, I've been on a team of teams. We have different walks of life, different personalities, different you know people. Guys do different things. And the bottom line is, while you may have your own agenda, while you may, you know, have your own personality, you know, you still, there's got to be a point in time when you're accountable to each other. You're accountable to your teammates and your coaches. And if you're not accountable of one of the, one those, those two things, then you don't fit in. And I mm-hmm. think Earl Thomas, I don't know what the deal is. And I think a lot of guys you know, on social media say, hey, the guy's a great dude and everything. He probably is. But there's this diva about him. There's this like, you know, underlying, you know, he's better than everyone else. And and I don't think that that's a good thing. That doesn't send a very good team camaraderie character trait with you're trying, as you mentioned, Mike McCarthy trying to build a new regime here, trying to get something off the ground. I just don't think that right now is the right timing for Earl Thomas.
1: When you said a very good team camaraderie, I thought you were going to say a very good team charcuterie. That's what I thought you were
2: saying. Charcuterie to say. boy. I know <laughs> it
1: sounded like that. Um, I, you know, my last thing is. Um, is Zeke was on 105.3 The Fan on Tuesday morning, and he talked about a number of things, etc., but he was asked near the end of his interview, um, you know, hey, like, you know, what do you think about being the bell cow? Could you see yourself up for splitting carries in the future, um, etc.? And he said, look, I mean, I love being the bell cow. I love, you know, carrying the rock. I think is what he said 30 times a game, but... I don't care. He said, I want to win. That is the bottom line for me. I want that above anything else. And I'm not at all saying that that was never Zeke's mindset before this season, uh, because I think that it was. That's that's just kind of who Zeke is. I mean, I think, I think, but when he joined the Cowboys, I think Zeke had lost like three games ever, like in high school and college. Um, and so, but I think that you know, this is a, a young Cowboys team that is, is is young generally, but has some experience. And they've, they've gotten this experience together. Th- these players that are now in their kind of fourth, fifth, you know, years together, and, and they've experienced a lot of things. They've tasted some successes. They've had a lot of heartbreak together. They've seen now a head coaching change. But the nucleus of this team has grown up in the NFL together, and that's a really powerful thing. And I think that that harmony – is so valuable there and there's no metric there's no uh data point that that can measure that but it is it is very very powerful and I don't know if I want to compromise that because this this season more than ever Tony is about kind of banding together and keeping your head down and you know just just focusing on on you know your locker room and that part of this the Cowboys have taken care of and so even for the potential player that Earl Thomas is, I think it's not worth it. And I tell you what, if the Cowboys are truly not going to sign him, and, and as Ian Rappaport reported, even though Jerry kind of called him out, if if Ian is right and the Cowboys don't sign Earl Thomas, then good for the Cowboys for realizing that that is not worth it.
2: Yeah, again, if the narrative hadn't been his his behavior and in Baltimore, I think we'd all be – first of all, we wouldn't be talking about this. He would be a Baltimore Raven, but – you know, it is, the situation is uh, is what it is, and mm-hmm. I, I think as this team moves on, um, I maybe it's because of the pandemic and we don't get as much media coverage as we as we were used to. But I like some of the things I'm seeing. I like the things I'm hearing. I like the head coach. It just seems like it's a total different vibe, man. Mm-hmm. It seems like guys are excited and really are clicking with Coach McCarthy. I mean, he is. I mean who doesn't like when you see coach McCarthy looks like a dude that you want to go have a steak with and and drink a cold beer. So while he's a players coach I think obviously he's demanding of his players which they respect that and there's a lot of coaches that have those type of you know you know they that's their character but a lot of players don't don't respect that. So I am very I am very uh encouraged on what I'm seeing. And one my last thing I said it was a I man. I really like what I'm seeing with Blake Jarn. I don't know if they're just showing the highlight, but it seems to me it's nice to see a tight end with some with the second gear. Not to <laughs> not to slight Justin Jason Witten because he's the greatest of all sure. time. But it's a different gear to watch Blake Jarn c- catch the ball and, and run and, to the end.
1: Yeah, a tight end who can who can literally run. Just exactly. who, <laughs> yeah, no, I I agree. And I mean somebody Somebody is going to benefit from all of the attention paid to everyone else, whether that's right. and, and and that's a fluid situation, whether it's Amari or Michael Gallup mm-hmm. or CD or Blake Jarwin or even, you know, we're hearing a lot about Zeke Elliott. You know, he talked about, you know, working on his pass catching and working out of the slot and things like that. Dak Prescott can throw downfield and there are going to be available options for him, which is very good. Um, The last thing, Tony, before the last thing, uh, just a very quick thing on Mike McCarthy. He has said, I have noticed several times, um, you know, since we've, you know, this is obviously now we're getting to hear from him all the time and that that wasn't the case before a couple weeks ago. And such a huge focus of his, Tony, is the players' bodies. And keeping them healthy. And when Everson Griffin spoke, he talked about how that was kind of what attracted him to Mike McCarthy. I, as a as a player, do you ever get the or did you ever get the sense that some head coaches were more focused on your rest and your treatment than others? And I mean, obviously, I could understand how if somebody was more focused on that, it would make you want to play for them because they're taking care of you.
2: Well, I remember the San Francisco was they were notorious for that. for taking care of the players, never practicing pads. I mean when I played in Dallas I mean we you know we we're in pads until Friday so it's a different type of approach different philosophy and you know that's what I've heard with coach McCarthy he he takes care of his players you know they you know when they're tired he senses that uh, he's got good common sense when it comes to that and he he gets that and so I think in that regard he takes care of them you know when the players they need when you get to eight games I mean you're you're tired. When you get to eleven games, you're really, really tired. So I think he acknowledges that. And I think players, yeah. I mean, that's a reputation. Coaches sure. get reputation throughout the league. And I think with Coach McCarthy, that's kind of like, well, you know, I want to go somewhere, but when I want to go somewhere, I just don't want to get the hell beat out. I mean, which they don't as much as they did back when in my day. Right, right. The point is is that, you know, I may mean, he'll throw them a bone, maybe give them a day off, or you know, instead of they're supposed to come in on I guess now they're Monday off, maybe they get two days off. So sure. The reputation uh, you know, blends throughout the league. So I think that's Mike McCarthy's uh, – his personality.
1: My last thing, uh, Tony, before we get out of here, as we have been talking, um, news coming out that christop's Porzingis has been listed as out for Tuesday night's Mavericks game against the Clippers, Game 5. Uh, give me a prediction. Series oh tied. Gosh, the the, the all-decisive Game 5. Who's winning?
2: You should have seen me. I was home by myself. Uh, Watching uh, watching that game, and when he hit that buzzer beater, I was like, "Ah, my Mm -hmm. knee! All of a sudden, my knee felt a lot better." My my knee replacement, man. I tell you what, I look when they were down twelve in the last game. Was it seven or down twenty? Were they down twenty one? The last Uh, game they they came back, and I'm thinking, as long as they got number seventy seven, as long as they got the bench, their bench played phenomenal. I mean, I don't know. I mean, and and I thought with that, with for seeing us out, there's no way they're going to win. I mean, Luca's great. All I know is, if you're the LA Clippers, and there's one guy that you you need that you need to defend that has the last shot in the game, you better double number 77, Luca, because I was surprised. But in saying all that, man, I'm going to continue to go with Dallas. I mean, until they, if they can get hot off the bench. Continue and I know I threw that out there because your favorite players on on the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the Mavs. That make you feel better, partner.
1: I uh, I will take the Mavs too, um, and uh, fingers God crossed.
2: Been good games, though, man.
1: They're they're fun. They're a lot Gee. of fun. Uh, Bob Sturm had a great write up just about how awesome the, this Mavs team is uh, in the athletic recently, and so they, they're a really th- those are the best basketball teams to watch. Like not not necessarily the best teams, but just the the most fun teams, and the Mavs are a lot of fun. So, uh,
2: hopefully, Johnson uh, I mean, just looks like you know they showed him like in a timeout he was playing like the water bottle game and. The guy's like he's 21 years old, but he seems like he's 34. Oh, I mean, man. the dude is just amazing. He's remarkable.
1: He um, that that European experience, man. I mean, he's been a pro for a lot longer than you know, yeah. people realize. So right,
2: since he was, he's, you know, since 10, so he's got he's been a professional for that would be 20 something years.
1: Yeah, Um cool. Well, uh we'll see what happens with the Mavs and and with Earl Thomas and with charcuterie boards and everything. Um, board. yeah, that sounds good for lunch. Hey, I'm gonna go, go whip
2: me up one real quick. Go get you one, everybody. Your get cheese? Your, by the way,
1: my favorite cheese. Yeah. Um, my favorite cheese on a sandwich is pepper jack. Like that. If I'm eating a sandwich, but if I'm eating it like on a on a finger plate or or whatever, you know, like with a toothpick or whatever one of those things are called. Like I guess the charcuterie board um Colby jack that's that's yeah, the best cheese for that so
2: i like gouda but the one thing have you ever had the blueberry cheese i mean you, and that's what you no. get in the charcuterie board i mean you get all kinds of different cheeses and you get everything you get to mix it up man that sounds tremendously healthy though when i, to, I when i, 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 I
1: think of that, I know that when i think of those though i think of like um like a Christmas party. You know what I mean like cuz you're at like a like somebody's house and like there's all the boards, you know, and and I think it's like it's hot and like my face feels hot and like, you know, you're wearing a sweater and it's like cashmere or something, like it's just, you know, right. that's that's
2: where my mind goes. Well, so, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to tweet out a picture of my wife. She made a charcuterie board, but it was a whole table. I mean, it was amazing. I'll I'll tweet that out to you, man, and you'll Okay. It was a charcuterie board on steroids. Okay.
1: We'll tweet that out. Um, everybody, have yourselves a good week. We'll see you next Tuesday. This was the 750.
0: Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.